everybody to Fairy Airy, a Chase's Place podcast. I'm your one and only single host, Chase Carroll, and today we are joined with three special guests. Special guests, hello and welcome. Today we will be talking about the Vendillion Click, how the fairies of Lorwyn relate to how we self-select groups in the real world, and of course, this is my first time doing this podcast that is completely mine and nobody else's. Please introduce yourselves. Uh, my name is Joe Redman. You can find me on Twitter at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D Horn. And um, I'm Hobbs Q. I can be found on Twitter uh, at, at Hobbs Q. And I'm Alex Newman. I can be found on Twitter at Alexander New M. Thanks for having us on, Chase. Yeah, no problem. My Twitter handle is Mana Curves. Today we're talking about the only creature type that matters in magic. We're talking about fairies today. So yeah, I mean, we've been excited. I've been I've been wanting to talk about fairies, my favorite tribe. Um, I I feel they're underrepresented in Magic. I feel like they they don't get the respect that other tribes get. Um, and well, yeah, know, we we've so seen glad. a lot of fairies. We've seen a lot of fairies in Magic lore and and story over the years. And and I don't feel like they ever really get their due. They're shown as like really stupid and conniving, and I don't think that's fair to them. Yeah, I, I think that's really rude, you know, because we 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 believe that fairies can be so much more. Thank you. I agree with that wholeheartedly. So I love fairies. That's a thing that I think none of you know about at all whatsoever. But <laughs> it's true. In fact, I don't get mail that instead of my last name, it just says fairy queen on there. No, I don't. Never had. And, and you know, it's fine. It's whatever. That's my thing. That's my shtick. That's my steez, my style and ease. I your, like fairies. Your, your brand. Hashtag brand. It's my brand. I did not know it was my brand until somebody one day said, that's your brand. And I went, you know what? We're Nike. I got a Nike dealership. <laughs> it's going to be great. Fairies, no, just do it. I'm, I'm fairly certain. You're going to wow. like it. Wow. <laughs> <Did you> fairly <laughs> Yep, that's it. That's good. It's going to be a long night, baby. <laughs> can help it. You know, I guess that's just my pixie shtick. Get it? Like, <laughs> I'm just hoping uh, that this can really bitterly blossom into something a little more productive. Boy. I love it. Yeah. Are, are, so you always, at the beginning of episodes, you like to do that that uh, that question, right? Uh, circular knowledge or deep analysis or something. I think that's what it I was. I like to usually post a selfie and have you guys rate it on a scale from 1 to 10. But, you know, I always rate myself a 10. But I guess since you asked about a question, we could possibly do that. I'm not really sure. Um, so, um, this intro question that I'm completely making up off the top of my head and not reading out is, if there was a high school for the multiverse, which group of students would you find yourself in? And which characters in the lore would be there with you? I'm I'm Joe, and uh, I think if I was at like a, a multiverse high school, um, when I when I was in at least a, a freshman in high school when I started, I, I really like hung out with sort of the the oddball kids, the goth kids, the you know sort of the the stoner kids. It was kind of like a mishmash of everybody. But I also went to like an arts high school too, so everyone was kind of weird. Um, they were like the weird of the weird, the metal kids too. So I, I just think like, I don't know, two of the main people, or I guess three of the main people that would probably be at my lunch table in, in the cafeteria would be like Chainer, uh, Ixidor, and like Braids probably. Like which version of Braids though? Uh, that's a good question. Maybe both actually. <laughs> 
they might both be there both like og like straight up crazy braids and then like uh and then like you know plainer chaos version where she's like still a little bit like loopy weird distant but like not i'm gonna just kill everything yeah she's still hugging your the whole group right yeah yeah i also appreciate how you've stuck in the good fairy colors there Oh yes. So um, yeah. Though this is Hobbs, Hobbs Q. Um, I'm going to talk about the slight difference between me as a freshman versus me as a sophomore. And I'll I'll start with me as a sophomore. So me as a sophomore was somebody who had discovered that he could actually do something athletic for the first time in his life at somewhere around five foot ninety something pounds, which was run. So I had joined the cross country team, and so I'm thinking. All those long distance runners in magic are who would be at my table. So I'm thinking Nor and the Wary. I'm thinking <laughs> probably Squee. Um, that, I mean, that, that is like my lunch group. And to be fair, I'm lucky to be in this lunch group because as a freshman, my lunch table was me. And you know who used to throw things at me during lunch? Squee and Nor and the Wary. <laughs> That is the cross country team that I joined used to throw things at me when I sat by my locker by myself at lunch as a freshman. I go straight for the legs. I go straight for the legs. I've done it before. I'll do it again. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I, I, I fought for my roommate's honor. I did. I can't think of an elegant way to side, uh, to sidestep that comment. So I'm going to point it out and then make a sidestep. (laughs) Um, So I started answering the question of what group I would hang out with in high school. um, And then I realized I was actually answering a different question. So what I was, as as a quick thing in high school, I was in a a special uh, magnet program within my school because I went to public school, but it was a math, science, technology specific program. So I was with a lot of smart people. So I think that's where my my first instinct was to go with Tamio, someone who knows a lot. She's got a lot of history and stories. And then for some reason, the, the next person I thought of was like Gideon, because um, he seems very jockish, but also he seems like the kind of jock who would really enjoy playing D&D. And that's when I realized I was just making a D&D group, because that's what I did in high school. <laughs> so going from there... Um, like Teo, I think would would definitely be in that group because he'd be like the brand new player who's really passionate about it, and you know we have to like teach him the rules and sometimes like bring that passion down a little bit and help him to to, to channel that. Um, I thought Squee would be a good <laughs> contributor. Like he's the kind of guy who he's got a lot of experience. He tends to do goofy things, so you forget it, but he has a lot of experience, and so sometimes he can make that goofy stuff work out. Um, and then kind of going from there, I, I, you know, I realized that there is actually a Dungeon Master printed magic card. So that just seems super appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, that was it was some weird promotional thing that was was printed. There's only a few copies of it. Um, uh, and then the, the last thing I have is, is someone who we would have kicked out of our group. And that's, <laughs> and that's Urza. <laughs> he's kind of like I figured Urza would be like the power gamer who just imbalanced the game or would kind of do like really shady things that would get the group in trouble mm-hmm. and so yeah I think we'd have kicked Urza out so do you think Urza would have been the bard 
Alrighty, and my answer is weird. This is Chase speaking, in case you didn't know. Just bringing you back around here. Um, <laughs> my answer is a weird one. Um, so please don't judge me for this, because um, I did not think of specific characters. I thought of cards and creature types. So the first thing that came to mind was Gilderbaron. Yeah, exactly. That creepy little dude. Oh, fun fact, my high school experience... Ah, it's something else. I was weird. I was like the comic <laughs> book person. Uh, if you actually, my high school did like senior pictures and they are, are in the on the wall framed of our entire graduating class. And everyone else's is like, oh, we're at a fountain. Oh, we're in the forest. And mine, I'm covered in comic books. Like I have, I'm covered. Like I'm covered in comic <laughs> books. That is my picture. So I was a weirdo. So for me, I would um, hang out with Gilder Baron. For creature types, I'd hang out with Noggles, the weird little um, donkey people from Lorwyn, because, you know, they're weird and I'm weird. And then for a magic card specifically, um, I would be with a crumpled up magic card, like one that you rolled over with your chair and you forgot about <laughs> and then you find it and you're like, oh, God, is this still sleeve playable? And there's creases in it. And people make fun of you for having it, but you like traded it for like five dollars, and it's like no big deal. But like to them, it's a big deal. Are you talking about yourself or the card? I got I'm horrible <laughs> with metaphors. Really both, bad. Both. I. So, if I can, uh, if you don't mind me jumping in, <laughs> whoa, the reason whoa, we're talking whoa. about p groups that we would hang out with while we're talking about fairies is because you know we're talking about clicks, y'all. We're talking about clicks, the lowering groups of fairies. And I am so excited. This is like like we've all been saying. They're my our favorite creature type, and so I mean, what, you know, talking about the socio political hierarchy of the Fey mm -hmm. of Lorwyn, that's right up our alley. I think it's fantastic, and I'm really happy that you decided to come on to my show and only my show that I have had for years now, even though this is my first episode, to do this with me. I do have to say, though, that I think it's very fantastic that we are indeed talking about fairies. And, you know, we're, for Eldraine, which we accidentally predicted, by the way, we were actually, you know, mulling this over in our head for uh, weeks. I also think it'd be very cool that if we could write Wizards of the Coast, I know that they've had this uh, set planned for uh, years but that in Eldraine there should be a war between fairies and goblins and the far superior creature type fairies would definitely win I think I mean, and uh, kill goblins, goblins and specifically wear their skin they have no chance <laughs> I mean you just talked about the greatest most underrated tribe fairy mm -hmm. and yes. the worst tribe yes. that they could have just gotten rid of when they did the whole you know like when they did that creature type removal they, why mm -hmm. didn't they just get rid of it yeah. Why didn't they Why? just make them wingless fairies or something? Wingless yeah. fairies, right? Yeah. Like fairies that don't fly. It could even yeah. say that in the type, and I would have been fine. I would have been fine. I'm fairly certain you guys are going to get along with me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> with fairies, I know that we had our, um, our intro question. Now we're going to get into fairies in general. There are fairies on many different planes in uh, magic. But the one that I like to focus on heavily and completely ignore the others, um, <laughs> Lorwyn, uh, because there's, you know, there's uh, fairies. There was fairies in Ice Age. There was fairies uh, in Dominaria, although there weren't any cards printed for that. There's fairies in Ravnica, um, and that's cool and dandy and well. But I like to talk about the fairies specifically in Lorwyn because they are 
in Lorwyn, you see fairies be very social, and that's not something that you see in any of the other sets. Whereas in Ravnica, you see fairies be sort of used for spy techniques or, you know, for uh, surveillance, even when they were, is it, for wee dragonauts, they were still used for surveillance. Um, Metropolis Sprite, um, all those fairies like that, they were all used for surveillance. Guild Pack Informant, the one that was printed in the Jace Duel deck, well, not Duel deck, the Jace Planeswalker deck, was also used as an informant. So I feel like the Lorwyn fairies have a more social context that we don't see anywhere else in Magic, which is why I'm so excited for Eldraine. Yeah. So- and when, and that's a, a thing too is there is yeah the, like you're saying there's a social element there's like a, a the fairies exist on more than one level of the hierarchy in Lorwyn too you know there's there's Queen Una of course who we'll get to in a bit um, but then there are the fairies that serve her and then there are fairies below them and and so there is this like complex social structure in addition whereas like you're saying. I mean, the Ravnica fairies are just sort of toadies for the the guild leaders, you know, on on Ravnica. Mm-hmm. And and the fairies have a lot bigger footprint in in Lorwyn. They really didn't get a lot of focus in any of the other sets and worlds that they're in. And hopefully, with Eldraine, we're going to see another take on fairies, another world where they're a major portion of it, as opposed to little side notes. Yeah. Right. And and to the point, sorry, just to just to add on to that, to the point where we don't even know I can't remember now what the, the names are, but the two the brother and sister uh Ravnica fairies, the is it ones, um we don't even have any lore for them. Oh, Tibor and Tibor and Lumia. Lumia. Yeah, we don't even have any actual lore behind them. So there's just I mean, yes, we have a legendary from them, but we don't know what they are. When it comes to fairies, I feel like, you know, it's kind of a, uh, obvious thing as to what they are. But fairies are pretty much just like humanoid little looking creatures. They're very itty bitty teeny tiny. Um, the dominant plane that we're talking about is Lorwyn. And on Lorwyn, I think one of my favorite things about them is that the bugs on Lorwyn, they, will, they look like bugs you know they're very insect like and i think that's very different from the traditional fairies that you see in ravnica where they're more like human you know they have regular eyes instead of like slanted bug eyes no antenna no weird looking mandibles or grasshopper legs and i think that's very interesting um and what kind of drew me to them in the first place but one thing i think that's really interesting about the laura winfey is what we kind of like hinted at with our intro question which is clicks the fact that fairies hang out in around of groups of three to five um, and kind of those are their like set group of people even though they are all ruled under Una they still have a sort of you know tight-knit connection with one another in clicks yeah I, and I think another interesting thing too is um, sort of the like as as we're talking about the uh, the click elements, uh, a lot of what they do in those clicks is like harvesting dreams for Una. Um, and, and I found this really interesting when we were doing some background research, but the, the Fae of Lorwyn can't dream. That's wild. That is a weird little like tidbit behind them that they are, they don't have the ability to dream. And so that's why they go around stealing people's dreams. That's why you see the, the card, the very notable card in modern Thoughtsies, um, because they are trying to harvest those things so they can experience some of that. It's actually not known if they dream or not. It is suspected that they cannot, hmm. 
um, they actually steal dreams from others, like you said, depicted in Thoughtseize, to um, use as energy, and they carry that around with them as sparkling energy that they give to Una. They all serve. Um, not much is known about Una, um, which I also think is very interesting. If we go back to our high school metaphor, Una is kind of like, um, oh, she's like Regina George. Who's mm. Regina George and everybody else is just like fiddling gossip to her and the dreams are gossip. You know, that kind of dates me as Mean Girls. Uh, but <laughs> um, I think that it's very interesting that we see, even in Lorwyn, that Faye still, while they aren't informants, they do act sneakily and they steal in a, in a way that is very, they do it when you're asleep, obviously. But it's very unknown to the, the other creatures of Lorwyn. So fairies are still used as sort of, you know, taking bits of information. When we look at the Dominaria Fae, they do also steal, there actually is one card that does depict a Dominaria Fae. It is an ugly, shriveled looking, schmeagle looking thing. Um, <laughs> I can't remember the card for the life of me. It's a mono black card. Um, and actually Dominaria Fae, well, they do steal, they steal teeth. They take teeth. Oh. And that's... I think that's the tooth we can all dance to. Uh, I the MTG Wiki article on fairies has that card uh, divest. Yes. And the flavor text says flitter sprites collect unusually valuable things: coins of fallen empires, baby teeth, and memories of treasured names. And that's yeah. a really weird rule of three collection. I like that rule of three, but I also think it's interesting that even if they don't steal dreams, they do steal memories, mm -hmm. and that kind of I think kind of strings along the 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 um the niche that they are put into as being sort of sneaky creatures um so i feel like really cool is um kind of a couple quotes that we got from the wiki article uh you know stuff that i you know pretty much i like have memorized like the back of my hand i, I love this creature type so much um so the Fae of Lorwyn leads short, flitting lives in the pursuit of gossip, diversions, and amusing intrigues. But fairies can also be carelessly cruel, capricious, and vindictive. It is, it is thought that fairies do not dream, which would explain why they spend so much time harvesting the dreams of others. They can distill these stolen dreams into a sparkling energy that they carry around them. Um, the fairies of Lorwyn were actually the only tribe to not be affected by the Great Aurora, which is a planar phenomenon that shifts between the light of light and the silly world of Lorwyn and the dark and dangerous one of Shadowmoor. And this is likely due to their um, harvesting of dream magic and uh, their interventions of the queen, Una. And so that's, so an that's another thing, too. You draw the parallel between Una and Regina George, and, and mm -hmm. Regina in, in Mean Girls is kind of that central hub of... Mm -hmm the high school's social world. And, and so, you know, everything rotates around her. And we see that, too, similarly with the Great Aurora. Like, everything changes around the Fae. The mm -hmm. Fae don't change. Exactly. Um, and when you kind of look, I, I know that I'm pulling very far out from magic here. But when you look at, for instance, like Tinkerbell from Peter Pan, they said that Tinkerbell was so small that she could only feel one emotion at a time. And that emotion was often, you know, jealousy or anger. And, you know, we'd look at Lorwyn Faye and they're, I mean, it's even said that they're cruel and capricious. I mean, the Faye aren't, you know, they look cute and they're small, but they aren't, they aren't pleasant little creatures, you know, that like, like land on your finger and you go, ah, like they're hateful little things. <laughs> I, I thought that was a bluebird, not a fairy, <laughs> even in Disney here. Not, we're way off left field, but that, that's, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're I, not though, right? The, the Lorwyn Fey look like bugs, not necessarily birds, but still, it works. Well, they're like eat your hand bugs too. <laughs> they're not like land there and chill. Yeah, yeah. They're like the um. Oh god, they're like that like one foot long wasp that like oh. kills people. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're like you look at it, you're like. It's a bug. It's a bug. It's like it's not gonna touch me. But then the bug lands on you, and you're like, "Oh, I'm dead." <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would say if I would die. By the way, <laughs> best last words. But when we look at fairies, I mean, they're so they're so snobby. They're so mean. They're so spiteful. And I think that that is really um, interesting because you you either look at them as like being these cute little creatures or you don't really see them as having much personality at all due to the lack of representation in magic because they're so underrated and better than goblins um mm -hmm. but i feel like one thing when we go with my mean girls reference that i said earlier is um widwin the biting gale the another legendary fairy who is not as interesting as una unfortunately but i still like her um she is actually described in magic lore as being like a mean girl like being like she what she does is she's one of the fae that does not necessarily follow the um the click rules which is you know groups of three to six instead she just kind of hops from one click to the another spreading gossip and spreading drama and then leaving when she's done so she really just sort of hops around and kind of talks about people and then flutters away and that hurt that's kind of that's kind of but that's not the part of what fairies are is that you know they look cute but they they steal and they talk shit and I think that is so. They will stab you with their tiny yeah. tiny pikes and their words. Yeah, exactly. And guess what hurts more? The word. <laughs> and I, I think that's an interesting comparison to to like Tinkerbell and things because it's showing at least the fairies of Lorwyn within magic are shown to have a have a greater depth of of personality and, and emotions and things even if you know a lot of the words in the list are are more more negative cruel and capricious you know but if they're doing gossip and they have these clicks and there's these amusing intrigues to, to quote this article it's showing that there's more than you know one emotion going on at a time there's mm -hmm. there's more going on there i also feel like it's interesting it's important to say that you know a lot of people will look at fairies as a creature type and just sort of write them off as being very low powered when that's not necessarily true when you look at the lore for instance una is I mean, she's just an absolute boss. Her size, if you look at the art, even if you just look at the art of Una, Queen of the Fae, you can look in the background, the small background, that there are teeny tiny little itty bitty fairies. She's full person size. She's a whole woman. Um, and so I feel like it's also interesting because she caused the great auroras that pretty much transitioned uh, Laura Wynn to Shadowmoor. She she creates and causes the the great aurora and have the plane change around her. I mean, she's she's the master and everyone else is, are the puppets. And so she heavily impacts the plane. And the only reason that she was um, defeated by Marwyn, which we will uh, talk about in a little bit, is because she, you know, the great Aurora that she normally creates and happens to kind of switch, you know, Marwyn from Shadowmoor, she didn't really count it on happening so soon. And so she pretty much just kind of made a copy of Marwyn, put all her thoughts and memories in there so that she would not be affected by the great aurora because the original times that she caused it it didn't affect her because she caused it but this time she didn't cause it i kind of messed up here i pulled a zeus i don't really know what to do 
<laughs> and she ended up kind of, you know, kind of getting a little cocky and got messed up and got defeated, leaving Marwyn to be leader of the Fae. Um, so that is kind of where we see Una's downfall, her arrogance, is because she was this big, powerful figure that shifts pla the plane, the entire plane. She affects the entire plane and literally changes the fabric of the plane from being light and happy to being dark in, uh, you know, Spookies. Grimm's fairy tales. Original yeah. Grimm's fairy tales where you like dance until you die and you get your eyes pecked out. She does that. <laughs> I mean, this is what we're hoping to get in Eldraine, right? Oh, yeah. Definitely. I want, I want eyes picked out. I want to see some bloody feet. You know, if you're not like having sex with a bear it's not fairy tales that is <laughs> i mean you you referenced zeus and i i was gonna <laughs> make a joke in that direction but i thought it'd interrupt the flow but oh <laughs> uh, yeah see, kind of brought it back there <laughs> oh Why i will always bring it back there <laughs> Bring it back, Daddy. Oh, one hop this time. Um, I think what I've learned too, though, from the fairy that we know of on Lorwyn, is I can see why Chase loves them so much. They just seem to really epitomize everything that she is about on on Twitter that I've seen so far. <laughs> yeah, capricious and vengeful, and yep. Uh, my mic seems to be. Can you guys? Can you hear me still? I believe we've eliminated the target. Anyway. <laughs> This is turning into a hostage situation. Ha, well, and welcome back. Going, yeah. forward, going forward with Chase and the other two guests. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I, what, I, what was I going to say before? Sorry. No, 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 no. It's okay. I have totally been planning it and I had to run upstairs. <laughs> oh, okay. Hobbs, you're so. back. Wow, that's crazy that you returned. Are you okay? <laughs> what I was going to say is... So the reason that's the big reason why uh, why Una is defeated at the end. Oh God! Uh, the the reason why Una is defeated at the end isn't because she didn't plan enough. It's just because the timeline shifted. Like she would have ruled Lorwyn Shadowmore indefinitely until you know, if not for like uh ashling speeding up the clock on on the great aurora mm -hmm. and therefore you know her kind of getting caught with her her flower petals down as it were i thought this was i thought even fairy airy was a family podcast <laughs> but like una is it was not only the fact that ashling did that it was the fact that una's arrogance got in the way of her and we kind of see that with the vendillion click which is Obviously, first of all, a very popular fairy card in general, blue legendary, famous, uh, famous um, click by name. There's only a couple clicks like cards in, in magic. You have Mistvine, you have Naxal, and you have Vendillion click. And the one that's played the most, talked about the most, and widely known the most is Vendillion click, which is made up of, I believe, three fairies or siblings, which I think is a little bit of lore that I think is very interesting is that you don't get much information about Fae, but you get that these Fae not only have names, but they're siblings. So you have Visa, Endry, and Iliona. And Iliona was the eldest, and Endry's the only brother. So you have, you know, two sisters and a brother. And I just think that's very cool. Even just flat out, if you just gave me that tidbit, like a little, a little taste of lore, that's all I need. I'm like, well, you got <laughs> names? Love it. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that they're so cool, the fact that, you know, a lot of people don't really, you know, take the time to dig behind the lore. I mean, you guys do. And that's why I'm so happy that you're on my podcast. Um, <laughs> but there's 
there's the Lorwyn, uh, Morningside, Eventide, and Shadowmoor books, the novels that were printed a while ago that give you this detail not only about Marwyn, but about the Vendillion clique and how they were instrumental in pretty much the downfall of Una herself. Which yeah. I think is very interesting. Which, which is another thing, too, that I don't think she could have possibly planned for. Because I, I exactly. think the way she treats them and talks to them in those novels is like, you know, sort of the classic, uh, you know, big bad boss like oh you know idiot underling you'll do this thing for me and they're like yeah sure okay and then they start thinking for themselves and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it all falls apart exactly (laughs) um uh pretty much just to kind of explain the lore behind the vendillion click for you know you two that i obviously know you don't know but for everyone Mm. else who's uh (laughs) listening um so the vendillion click was one of the highest up clicks in the service of una pretty much she just kind of sent them out to do her bidding that's what usually the cliques were even though they were little friend groups una was like you over there go out and do what i tell you to do um they pretty much carried messages for una got people items dreams stuff that una needed that even today we still don't really know the function of it we just know that she wanted them and needed it so um pretty much all three were pretty much kind of given not given lent to um marlin of the morn song to kind of ensure that she was safe um but pretty much uh marlin kind of had you know like some side chats she was like you know like blah like you guys are cool blah love you guys blah and (laughs) pretty much they started to ally with marlin even though they were originally lent to marlin by una and so i see that you kind of see a shift in the lorwyn face specifically the vendillion click stopping stopping the servitude and the theft and sort of thinking for themselves which you don't really see you just see them doing their bidding for una even on the flavor texas secluded glen they they just were there for una and they served una and that was their purpose was to serve una yeah and so we do see like you were saying after um after the great aurora shifts everything from lorwyn to Shadowmoor specifically um <clears throat> visa and iliona stayed with marlin um and uh, they they had started uh, quarreling between the two of them a little bit, but Una sort of reworked her magic over um, Visa and, and lured her back to the Fae. Uh, I'm sorry. They had started squabbling a bit. Una reworked her magic over Visa, lured her back to the Fae Conclave, while Iliona stayed loyal to Marlin. While this had happened, Endry had completely split off to do other stuff for Una, but then, you know, being that he was all on his own, he had already started to kind of go like, hey, maybe I shouldn't be doing this really awful, nasty stuff all the time. Maybe I should be, you know, a nice person. And then once Visa split, once Visa was pulled away, the clique was completely split, and we do see them really rapidly go from being kind of three... Uh, facets of one sort of entity to being three very unique people and yeah. and that's a really interesting thing that I, again we don't see that a lot in the lore no because fairies are usually in the lore just nameless flittering beings doing only things for there's only two fae that in Lorwyn that have that are named if we if we ignore the Vendillion click you have Woodwind and you have uh, Una and so seeing how each of these fairies 
is kind of split off and function and kind of find their own identities is very interesting and very weird to see because that's not really something that's explored in any other lore with the magic whether you look at the planet ice age whether you look at dominaria you don't really see that you just see them as just being sort of hey i'm a creature i'm here um right and even then we see a shift in sort of the function of these fey pretty much when um when he returned to gather his sisters he them to rest and decided even though fairies are we don't know if they don't dream but we can't say that for certain but he laid to rest and with them and dreamt of his sisters there's that that abandonment of the that you know that call that una has over them and sort of this individuality that we see kind of happen there is a loyalty to the family of the vendillion clique but only there that we see yeah and and i thought it was cool too that so as this uh you know there's the very strict social hierarchy that the fey have Endry in in being sent off in his solo stuff while he left visa in iliona um he runs into a couple groups of groundlings so those are uh, fairies without wings and they are treated basically as like the lowest of the low in the fairy hierarchy like uh, you know, un- untouchables basically, and yeah. he starts Screw to. Those guys. <laughs> and there's actually interest. I I had to search this on Scryfall just to see. There's only one card that references Groundlings, and uh, that's Ooh. Groundling Pouncer from uh, Eventide. Um, and and yeah, doesn't have flying. Not depicted with wings. Very accurate. Um, yeah. But it, it was interesting that he, you know, once once he was away from his normal context, he started making friends with these groundlings and sort of seeing like hey you know i'm not that different from you all you're not that different from me and he actually in the final battle of uh of the you know aurora all that he led a a group of groundlings uh in an assault on una's stronghold Mm -hmm. And, and actually you know in the in that process lost one of his own wings too so again we're seeing that sort of symbolic you know sort of coming down from the the perch that he'd been put on and sort of Mm -hmm. being this bridge between the two i think that's a really cool thing yeah i mean even on the since you brought up the card i mean the groundling pouncer the flavor text alone there just kind of shows you that it says andrew was determined to teach his groundlings a few winged fairy tricks and so that kind of shows that you know while he is utilizing them as an army there is that sort of you know being brought down and kind of being humbling himself to say i'm not saying that he lost his wing on purpose by any means but kind of losing that kind of you know shows him that you know he's just the same as they are just one wing less and i think that's something that's also very interesting that kind of shows a humanized version of a fairy that's not capricious that's not hateful you know that that cares yeah absolutely yeah we get um a lot of that in in fiction too, the the cliques the groups that the, the people who hold themselves above and then they get some experience with people who are different and they start to they have a, b- a bigger understanding of, of both themselves and the world as they get to know of people who are outside of their group right absolutely you know yeah, yeah it's a it's a really nice honestly i think that's a really nice metaphor for the world today you know mm-hmm. rather than like there, there is something to be said about finding the people that you belong with and like sort of having a place to kind of 
come back to as a comfort zone all the time you know like Mm -hmm. you know your your family be it a a blood related family or a a self-selected family and i guess this is branching a little bit into actionable advice here but um uh, you know but it's also it's good to stretch beyond those bounds of these small like these small clicks you know these three to five three to six fairies in, in a way and and say like okay i'm gonna find what makes me similar to you also even though for whatever reason the social context i'm in is telling me that i have to be different than you um and if we also kind of bring that back to the mean girls references that i can't stop making um i mean like in the in the movie you know it's everything's like depicted as like a watering hole everybody's going crazy it's a very weird like you know you know us versus them kind of thing but when you know regina george was hit by a bus you know and put in that brace um you know she kind of got humbled and you know katie katie heron lindsay lohan who essentially is marlin in this metaphor i'm talking about kind of takes over as queen bee or queen of the fae and kind of instills this new reign of you know there's no clicks everyone's talking to each other everybody's you know interacting you know no more danny devito i love your work it's everybody's cool (laughs) and um one thing i (laughs) i always think it's interesting to kind of look back because una isn't dead and for a while i thought that myself i thought she had died but no, she was just defeated. So she's actually still trying to gain her power back in order to retake over the the Fae throne. And so I think that is something that's also interesting, too, is that, you know, like in, in my main girl's reference, you know, Regina George actually became a nice person. But I don't think that we're going to be seeing that with Una because she herself still, she's the, going back to this thing I keep repeating, the fairies are small, they can only feel so much but they are capricious hateful little beings and imagine if you scaled it up to a six foot tall person that is nothing <laughs> but hateful and capricious i mean she's literally just like hello you're basking in my glorious presence it's me you know i really honestly think that if we see una return it's gonna be a surprise bitch bitch you thought you seen the last of me kind of moment <laughs> you know like like it's gonna be one of those things you where she's not gonna the be king, you best not miss exactly like the only thing you're gonna catch are these hands these real creepy buggy hands <laughs> it's like a little like like weird buggy this is my little a- asmr portion it's uh bug asmr is not not what i want in my life. okay it's good it's good but we're not gonna see a redemption so i haven't read any of the lorwyn books either um but hearing you two talk about these characters I have a maybe a weird analogy to draw to to a pair of other characters from a completely different medium that has been in pop culture lately and see if how this analogy goes. So in Avengers 2 Age of Ultron, yeah. <laughs> you have Ultron, you know, a little bit different than Uta because Ultron was created to protect the Earth and whatever, whatever, but tried to set himself up as like the ruler of everything. And then you have Vision, who is basically the mirror image of Ultron and like Ultron, how he should have been. Mm-hmm. Does this feel like an analogy that has legs? Yes. I, I don't know if you can see my face, but I'm like, that's a good metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 100%. Okay. That's, that's, that's very good. Okay, good. Then I, I am fine. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, honestly, if you really want to, if you want to draw comparisons, uh, Age of Ultron, uh, pretty much, uh, Shot for shot remake of Mean Girls. 
be honest, Ultron's a Regina. <laughs> so bringing it back in. So I, I also wanted to ask, uh, while we're on this topic of like the group splitting apart, the click split, the Vendillion click splitting apart specifically, mm-hmm. and we see each of them develop a lot more into individual characters. Um, entry in specific, we see a really well developed arc and. I don't think it's any we we don't have to mince words here. I don't think it's any surprise that Andre is the one uh, brother of the group and so of course he gets the developed arc. But yeah. uh you know, misogyny aside, I I do want to know what you think Chase about that that sort of narrative of we talked we touched a little bit on it with, you know, talking about him breaking apart the hierarchy. Alex, you mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, that that sort of symbolic trope in literature, but I want to know like does it fit the story? Do does Endry's sort of uh, end of his arc make sense? And, and you know, is that fitting? Mm-hmm. I, I guess what you know, and how how can we take some of his story specifically because we do see that full uh, narrative path in into a real world sort of application. When I look at the story, I think it, it fits and it doesn't. And the reason why I think it fits is because. You know, even though, yes, that the only, you know, prominent male fairy is depicted as sort of having this this overarching, like, thing. And, you know, he he is kind of the, the final note that we see on the Vendillion click. I actually also think that his choice, the choice for that specifically was a good one. And the reason why I think is because when you look at fairies in and out of magic, they're very, they're, you know, they're just sort of typecasted as being very feminine sort of creatures and everyone you just look at them and you automatically assume just like when you look at angels and you're like god there's a lot of like female angels and there's only two um two angels that are men like it's very interesting to see you know the only you know named sort of um fairy that's you know a guy have this sort of arc and have you know this emotional not roller coaster, but this emotional, like from point A to point B. And I think that's very interesting because, you know, as much as I love fairies, you know, they do obviously, they're kind of like, oh, they're really bad creature types. You know, of course, you like fairies, your girl, you know, stuff like that. So I think that they're, they're typecasted as being sort of feminine. And so I feel like having that one brother have, have that, I think is interesting. Now, the, the way it ends, I think it's kind of poetic because, um, you know, fairies, you know, may or may not dream. We don't know. But, you know, for Laura's sake, people just assume they don't. And so the fact that he chooses to sleep in dream of his siblings, I think is very beautiful because he sort of, he and his, his sister sort of did all this bidding for Una, you know, never really doing anything for themselves, stealing other people's dreams, giving them to Una, turning it into energy, not really having any for themselves. And so I think that, not only does he want to have this experience that he doesn't really, he might not be able to have at all or can't even, you know, um, experience the fact that he decides to not only um, have it, but have it be about his family, I think is also something that's sort of beautiful and poetic. And I think that it's kind of, um, when we take that into a real world application, it, it just seems to me like it's, you know, stop, serving what you feel like you should serve and serve what you know feels good for you sort of like that you know like 
I'm, I'm like, if, if we take it back to that sort of like high school metaphor that we've been talking about, you know, stop really like, you know, doing what other people will tell you because it's cool or because people say it's cool or because of peer pressure, you do what you want to do because it's, it's good for you or because it makes you happy. And so we see that sort of shift for him that I'm going to stop, you know, serving like, you know, this big boss, this mean girl and, you know, be with my family. And he not only does it for the experience of dreaming, but does it because it's his choice. And I think that's something that is interesting to say the least. It, it seems like it's right and also odd at the same time. It's like, yeah. I don't know. It's a very weird sort of way to, to end it out because he can, he can wake up, but he chooses to be dormant. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a really good lesson to, to get the, don't be what you're supposed to be, be who you are, which, because I speak in pop culture uh, references and metaphors, that goes to Endgame, uh, Marvel's Endgame. Like, and that was with, there's an entire discussion about Thor's character in that movie, but one of the lines that has stuck with me was when his mom said to him, don't be what you're supposed to be, be who you are. And that is a, I like seeing that message whenever and however often we can get that in, in pop culture, it's very important to have that for people, both because the, the repetition is helpful for those of us who've heard it. And also because something that those of us who are a little older tend to forget when you, when new movies come out and you say, well, this is just this other movie retold. It's like, yes, but you know, new generations need to have some of these same stories. We've been telling the same stories, some of the same stories for hundreds and thousands of years, because there's something, there's fundamental elements to these stories that are important to us and to our cultures and to transmitting these messages. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think too, it's, it's that, uh, we, we keep telling it because it's still not gotten better, you know, like it, that's, that's sort of one theory of like folk and fairy tales, fairy tales while we're talking about it. Um, but that they keep being passed on, uh, you know, because they're primarily through oral tradition. Like, you know, it's not just, you know, handing it an, an, uh, illustrated storybook to your kids and going here read this like we we tell the stories you know of whatever of S- snow white or uh, of rumpelstiltskin or all of these you know sort of seminal fairy tales we tell them because something in there is important and it still hasn't gotten like ironed out um that's why morals are in those too um that's a, the- a theory at least of of socials fair social sociology and fairy tales Um, that's a fascinating idea that i have like you saying that that has just occurred to me and that i don't haven't really thought through and would love to like try to research but it would be like a life's work studying (laughs) stories and how they change based on lessons that maybe we don't need anymore versus the lessons that we still do Mm, yeah no i was just gonna say that that whole oral tradition and it it adapts you know that i'm sure yeah um, actually, I, I minored in German in college, so we actually learned a little bit about this and that within the, um, within the certain uh, areas of Germany, like the north and the south, the east and the west, the fairy tales would change a little bit depending on the culture in that part of Germany. And so there actually was a change in like the morals um, and the, there's actually, 
I believe that the Brothers Grimm actually, that was their goal was to go around the different parts of Germany and gather up these tales that everyone was telling there because they would be different in some places and similar in other places. And they actually have um, a full, gigantic, I mean, just like massive, like page by page, like library in Germany of the different uh, versions of these fairy tales that we see and um i mean like that's why they were they were changed when they came to um you know to the united states is because they were so harsh and different that you know we were like god like this woman wronged her stepdaughter so now she's gonna dance in burning coals that's a little much we're just gonna say that she's like like hidden away like you know or like you know like ursula's like fine she's in the bottom of the sea somewhere i mean like we really don't see that um that sort of like come up at that like coming full circle that that the german fairy tales originally did and i feel like circling back to eldraine we will see the original you know fairy tales the brothers Grimm dark fairy tales as they were meant to be told as they were originally told within eldraine i mean we see that even in the art like you know like the the frightening looking gingerbread man the <laughs> the person being baked in the pie you know i definitely you know like the gruesome aspects of fairy tales that we often forget i mean even earlier when this is gonna sound funny but you know like the having sex with a bear thing that was actually uh, a fairy tale that was yep. told it was called um rosenrot und schneeweiss and that was rose red and snow white not the snow white and the seven dwarves but pretty much it was just these two sisters who symbolized uh who were the physical embodiments pretty much of just like you know fall and like summer like spring and summer fall and winter and um they befriended this bear who was a chill dude um and you know there was a gnome somewhere in there who like tried to like you know but there is like the gnome just randomly shows up you know it's like i have this treasure and they're like we want that treasure and the gnome's like i'm gonna kill you guys then the bear the gnome and then they have sex with the bear and then the bear is like oh i'm suddenly two princes now like he literally just like (laughs) yeah but like you can't just tell that to a five-year-old nowadays back then you could and then they did and like that's just like it's a very weird story and all the stories are very weird there's a shift to the morals that we tell in fairy tales that we see you know subtly brought up and i think that we're seeing also that in magic we're seeing the gruesome side of it too that it's not just oh and then he fell away into a cavern it's like no um nickel bolus is floating in like superman jail you know, right. like a weird little glass going <laughs> Like, that's not a cool place to be. You have people dying, which happens. I mean, guaranteed, there have been a few deaths in Disney. Only a couple of them depicted being Bambi and, you know, um, Mufasa dying. Right. But, non-human people. Yeah, non-human. Right. You know, they, they really try to detach it. Uh, and I feel like we're going to see a return to that sort of moral, dark, you know, ambiguity uh, that we see in fairy tales in Eldraine. Well, and I, I, I want to, I agree with you, except for that one word of ambiguity, because ambiguity. I do think, I do think some of this, the, those, this does wrap into what we're talking about with the fairies too, is, is this fairy tales originally were used to instill a certain kind of social order or social morals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thinking about like Little Red Riding Hood, uh, Charles Perrault's uh, version of it, um, at the end of at the end of the story, you know, 
Little Red and the grandma both get eaten. There is no huntsman who saves them. They are just chomped up by the wolf. And the moral Hmm. is little girls uh, who let wolves in their parlors, you know, and there's innuendo there, get what they deserve. And so it's all about, like, be chaste and also be afraid of strangers. And also... (laughs) 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 That's my name. (laughs) (laughs) But it's all, yeah, it's all about, like, don't be a hoe and also be afraid of all the strangers around you. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, it is it is very – trying to instill a certain kind of society. And um, I don't think so much that Wizards is going to try to do that. But I do think yeah. that they are no longer doing that sanitization thing. They are letting some of that grimier stuff happen and say, yeah. like, here are ideas – like, let's see what happens in this story when you put all these ideas in a space. And we see this with the fairies, too, where there's a very strict social hierarchy. Mm-hmm. You know, this all of this kind of plays in together where I think you do see these these worlds we're getting now in, in Magic Story are really well defined. They have really good, they have like really, uh, maybe not good, but um, explicit social orders and yeah. dynamics. And that's... It's super interesting to see. And I th- I think what you're saying, Chase, exactly, though, is in Eldraine, they're going to knock that up to 10 or yeah. 11, I guess. I just think that exploring that, w- not exploring that would be a waste, especially since they said it's going to be like a dark Brothers Grimm mixed with like, you know, Camelot. And I think that is very, very, very important. Because when we look at, you know, stuff like the Canterbury Tales, when we look at the original Brothers Grimm, it's very dark. I mean, I honestly expect to see a little bit of like a drop of like Aesop in there. You know the like the like the moralistic like you know um, scorpion and the frog kind of thing, and I think that that is something that we're going to see depicted. I want to ask. So Maro, yes, I was going to touch on this. Maro said that Eldraine is not going to have many fairies all over the place, but I do want to ask what uh, from both of you. What are you, what is your prediction of how fairies are going to play into the world of Eldraine or hope? For me, this is just just me just, you know, thinking about this every night at 3 a.m. while I lie awake in bed, hoping they (laughs) get this for me. But um, when they first released the packaging, I actually made some predictions on Twitter. And one of the things I thought I would really like to see, you know, we've already talked a little bit about the hierarchy and class hierarchy with fairies, specifically within Lorwyn. But I feel like this would be more like, you know, like clothed fairies, fairies in gowns, you know, like elite fairies you know like the bourgeoisie fairies i think that would be very interesting because the fairies that we see are coated in armor with shields and i mean there's even like the set symbol looks like a crest to me Mm. so i really do want to see like some sort of like allegiance to a ruler of some sort but not have it mimic what we had in Lorwyn, which is just sort of this you know ethereal being with fairy underlings i want to see uh like a fairy court I want to see, yeah, yeah fairy court class structure, you know, like a king, queen, elected official, what have you. I think that I think that would be interesting to see. See, and I, I kind of going a little bit off of what what you were talking about earlier, Chase. You were talking about kind of the niche that fairies fill in most of these worlds. Even Lorwyn, the one world where we really see them get a big space, is this you know mostly sneaky, mostly used as you know when they're using other people's groups, they're they're infiltrators or they're used for you know espionage or scouts. And it's like I would really like to see um, a larger. Uh, 
either a larger place for them or an exploration of a different niche, a different place where they fit into this world and the the general order of the world. Yeah. Not I just definitely... as like the informants and dealing yeah. with like being on the side, but finding somewhere that's more unique. Yeah, yeah. and it it's it's a it's a topic that we haven't spoken about, but I know it's it's come up a lot in talks off air, um, talking about how different races play in different worlds not play but but what roles they fill within the different worlds and how your fairies are different in this world or this world or your you know goblins that probably shouldn't be printed in the game anymore how they're different from this world to <laughs> that world and your merfolks which are slightly more acceptable whatever you have um the whole and, and many of those other races have been explored your goblins your elves your merfolk mm -hmm. those have been explored in different worlds and given different niches and wildly different um, art styles sometimes even uh, you look at the merfolk in in uh, mercadia versus your merfolk in like dominaria versus uh, zendikar there's very different just you know styles to their biology mm -hmm. um, and it would be nice to see fairies kind of get that treatment to see another you know another exploration that's our show you can find the podcast at Goblin Lore Pod on Twitter or email any questions, comments, or concerns to goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, you can do so at patreon.com slash goblinlorepod. This episode of Goblin Lore was hosted by Hobbs Q, who you can find on Twitter at Hobbs Q. This episode was written and co-hosted by Alex Newman, who you can find on Twitter at Alexander New M. Engineering, editing, and production for this episode by Joe Redeman, who you can find on Twitter at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D Horn. Our music is by Wintergotten, who you can find at Wintergotten.com. That's Winter, G-A-T-A-N.com. Logo by Stephen Raphael on Twitter at Stephen Raffle. Goblin Lore is a presentation of Hipsters of the Coast, which you can find at HipstersOfTheCoast.com or at HipstersMTG on Twitter. Thank you all for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.